Welcome to the Innovation Sofa, your podcast on all things innovation, digital innovation, new business models, transformation and change. This is brought to you by the makers of the Innovation and Transformation Hub and feature corporate business leaders from across the world on all things innovation. Good morning. Welcome everyone to the Innovation Sofa. Today we have on our show Julian Kalede, who is one of the co-founders with May.com and also a partner with the Entrepreneurs Partnership. Good morning, Julian. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Hannah. Uh, delighted to have you. Thank you so much for making the time and joining us. Um, obviously, I think I've already said a lot there in the introduction as to who you are, but would you be so kind and give us a, a quick background as to, you know, sort of who you are today and, and some of the stuff that you're up to? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm Julian. I'm French. I was born in France, uh, raised there, and I've been living in France for the first, I'll say, I'm trying to remember, 27 years of my life. Um, quite a conventional background, a uh, nice family, nothing exceptional. I was I did a business school, which is the most generalistic thing, generalist thing you can do if 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 you're if you're going to high school or want to do something uh, at a bit later stage, but don't know what to do. Um, 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 I did a bit of finance. I did a bit of sales. I did a bit of buying in the past. Um, I made my move to the UK um, at the time I decided to cough on Mate. And I started Mate with one of my good friends from business school, called Ning, um, on two other entrepreneurs, um, Brent on Brent Haberman, who, who is and was already quite well known in the UK, especially the founder of LastMinute.com at the time, on Chloe McIntosh, who was working with Brent. Um, that was my... That was my first move on my first step into into entrepreneurship on starting a company. Um, and I did it in an industry that I knew, um, which was the furniture industry. And I knew that industry because that was actually my, so it's my first company, but my third uh, full-time job. On, on, on my first job when I went uh, out of business school a few years before that was, was in the furniture industry. I was working for a small um, actually a small importer who was importing stuff from Asia on wholesaling it in France um, was not doing very well at the time but I, I learned I learned tons of things being on the ground working with factories working with retailers on on, on, on I could I could I could see I could see at the time that the the, the, the industry was was broken um, was broken for for a few people was broken for customers Everything that you were finding on the market was was roughly the same as what your colleague was selling uh, on your uh, on on your other retailer in front of you was selling too. Um, if 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 you wanted to be at a decent price um, on everything that was quite original or a bit qualitative was overpriced. The industry was broken for uh, for designers. Um, designer didn't didn't have any access to the market. I mean. The way the industry was, was was set up, it was very very hard for a big company um, with hundreds of tours to bet on a new design or designer. They were not they were not they didn't know well or wasn't well known on the market. It was too expensive in terms of inventory. You had to commit to 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 to, to commit to non-successful yet people. And it was broken too for 
for businesses because um, for a long time, I mean, furniture wholesaler retailers on, on, on furniture companies in general, even though the the price for customers was too high, um, but for a long time, all the actors or, or the players in, in that space were losing cash. Uh, and that was due to the way the, the, the system was working. I, I didn't start made straight away. I actually thought of starting something equivalent at the time, but then I went to work in, in finance for two years, uh, doing some VC investing. Uh, on, on, on after two years, I was just fed up of it. I, I, I actually got a phone call from Ning, um, who, who, who came to me like, Dude, we have we, we have to start it, and we have to start it now. He, he had he had he had started the company in the same field before, um, but we just decided to to partner with Brent and Chloe to launch Mate on on deliver exactly what was missing at the time on the market, which was um, give customer out there starting with us access to good quality furniture of a decent design. I mean, of a great design, um, an original one, something that you wouldn't find uh, next door. Um, at a very decent price, um, um, and also give access to all those designers on the market to 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 all those customers out there who were uh, looking for something new and different. So that was in 2010. It's uh, I'm pretty sure you're gonna have questions on it. So I'm, I'm not gonna spend hours on it now. Um, we've the company is still doing very very well. We've been growing uh, uh, like hell for the last uh, eight years. Um, it's now a 450 people plus company um, in London, with mainly in London, but we have buying offices all over the world, and we we have three um, three uh, actually yeah three other offices in Berlin, Paris, and Amsterdam. Uh, we're we're selling in eight countries in Europe. On 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 is still growing pretty fast. Um, I've left my exec role there. Actually, the three of us uh, have left our exec role one by one for uh, one beautiful reason, which is that we we recruited and um, we did set up an amazing team to manage to, to manage the company over the years. Um, would it be our whole exec committee or our new CEO Philip, who actually joined us uh, quite a few years ago already? On, on is now has now been leading the, the company uh, all by all by himself for for more than a year now. He was a he was only he's still a very seasoned manager, on doing an amazing job. And um, Chloe went to her own stuff in the UK. Ning came back to France and he's working on a new venture. On, on I'm actually working on two new ones now. Well, that's fantastic, isn't it? Um... I mean that's a that's a topic in it on its own. You guys having made that decision, it's it must have been quite hard. But before I go into that, I I really wanted to know, um, and I guess a lot of people you know have this question: is did you believe a hundred percent in your business plan before you started? Um, and I guess you've answered this question, the, the, the sort of the follow up on that a little bit already. But was it based on intuition, or did you actually have sort of solid evidence and research uh, to back you up? It's, I'm going to shoot in the middle, as, as very often. Um, I, I always say that you, you can't base a business on a market research. It doesn't make any sense. And by the way, you'll still be researching the market before you make any decision on, on, on you start building it. But at the same time, if you're starting it just based on intuition and you haven't asked anybody out there 
what they thought. That's pretty crazy. Um, so what I'm going to say is you, you, you can never believe in your plans 100%. Um, and you need to be ready to iterate. Uh, and by the way, the business model you're building day one or you're thinking of when you're thinking about your business the first day, it's probably not going to be the one you're going to be operating in like five years. Um, what you need to be sure of, though, is when you launch a business, remember that a business is, I mean, the, the, the business is just the format of what you're doing, but you're creating something. And when you're creating something, would it be a product or a service, is you need to be sure that you, you're answering a need on the market that you're doing it because people are willing to buy it or use it. Because um, a lot of people are actually, I can see that sometimes, are actually building things that are useless. Um, that happens. You, you think that's going to be amazing. It's, a, it's an amazing innovation, but it has no use or it has no use yet on the market. On, on if you have... If, if you're answering a need, but you're not answering it the right way, you can always iterate. And everybody does it 10 times, 20 times, 200 times. But you don't change your mission. Um, if you are building something amazing, but nobody needs it, uh, that's going to be more complicated. And our mission at MADE has always been to offer those original great design product of a good quality to customer at an affordable price and that's never changed and i think i think that that's quite common in every successful company even though then you can pile up more emissions on top of it but um the way we've been fulfilling that has changed yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense um so it's, it's good to know that you've had that in, in your as your as your mission from from the beginning um but i want to know uh, you know if you can take yourself back uh eight years ago now how ready were you to fail and and how did you define success at that point what was what were what did success look like to you was it a 500 people company and a million of pound revenue or what do you still have the same definition of what success looked like that at that time Oh, yes. Uh, so were we ready to fail? Uh, I think you're never ready to fail, um, ever. Um, I, I, I think you're never ready to fail, but you need to be able and ready and willing to take risks. I think that all entrepreneurs have the thing in common that they are not afraid of risk. Um, at the same time, they'll work ultra hard to not fail. So um, it's actually, I mean, it's actually, it's actually a, a common issue in businesses that actually, some, so, you know, those businesses that never take off. And, and you sometimes have amazing founders who spend like their life on businesses or like five years on businesses that, that don't take off on, on they might, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be very uh, wary of, not giving advices here, but they might, they might do amazingly well in another business if they were just saying, okay, let's stop it here to the first one because it just doesn't take off, but they are too afraid to fail. So yeah, maybe you need to be afraid to fail. Um, but, but I think the, the ability to take a risk, the ability to work like hell, um, on the ability to do things 
a very unconventional way is the most important thing. Um, um, on success, um, I think success in the early days is very is is on once for us measurable to very simple things, um, and then it evolves with time, uh, and it starts with the first time you sign somebody. I mean, um, I was going to go for a first customer, but no, the first success was when when we convinced somebody to join the team. Um, the first time we had a, a designer joining us, and I remember it was called Ludovico, on, on, on actually Ning found him on the web because he had an amazing table design. And we emailed him and he decided to come to London on join a venture that hadn't even started yet with no funding yet. Um, and that's a success. And then you then you sign a factory that is happy to work with you, even though you have you have no sales, you have some track record somewhere that you build up and you sell him, but but they you have no guarantee of being a big business later on. And then it's your the day you launch your website or on then your first customer, on then the first time you deliver somebody on they're happy, on then it's when you're a hairdresser on that lady tells you, hey, what do you do in life? And you're like, yeah, I, I work for a, a furniture design company. And she's like, oh my God, I found this new one in the tube like two days ago. It's called Made It's Amazing. And you're, you're laughing to yourself. Um, and that's quite happy. Uh, but what's been striking me the most then was the first time you enter somewhere and you see your products. And then the day you realize that what you've been building is a brand that people love at the same time as a company that um, is giving a job to four or five hundred people. I think that's really, that's quite striking. You, you, I, I, I'll be very honest, I never sit down and think about it, ever, ever. I, I, I thought about it the day I had to, to, to give a speech to one of, one of my, my, my team guys who was living. And I, I, I realized that and we were not 400. I think we were like 80 or 100 at the time. But I was like, whoa, I never realized that. That's really, that's really cool. That's it. Don't, don't spend too much time thinking about it because it becomes daunting in a way, doesn't it? So um, I, I want to ask you, um, would you do it all over again? And if you would, would you do anything differently? Uh, I would do it straight away with no question um i would do the exact same thing um we had a we had a very hard time as everybody but i think we loved it too so i would i wouldn't change that um and i think we'll we'll we're lucky to have built a really good brand um so so i wouldn't do differently uh, i wouldn't do different i would probably do some things differently um, I didn't have any eye-opening lesson or moment, to be honest. Um, you, you're learning every day, and it's 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 sometimes nice and it's sometimes not easy. Um, the biggest lesson, a biggest lesson might be that even even when you work like hell um, to anticipate the worst, it can still happen, and it usually comes from things that you can't control a hundred percent, but you, you you can actually influence. Um, you know, there is this thing in life where you have the things you can control and you need to control them. And if you can't control things, you have things you can influence and you need to influence them. But if you can't, just need to accept them. In our case, um, there was there was a time at made where we were we were scaling quite fast. We've all, we're still scaling quite fast. I mean, it's been eight years and the company is growing by 30, 40% a year still. 
But at that time, we were doubling turnover every month or two months, especially during like six months after two years. And, um, and we grew, we grew really, 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 really fast between t- October 2011 and January 2012. Um, everything kind of exploded. Uh, when, I, when I step back and I look at it as an entrepreneur or a business with a business hat rather than a customer hat, it didn't really explode, but we had a hard time when we had some customer issues because we had delivery issues, because we had payment issues, because we had three times too many people calling us and not enough customer service people. Well, that was a terrible time because um, for the first two years in the business, what we had been focusing on was not failing in, 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 in customer experience because we our business was a bit too good to or promise was a bit too good to be true. We had great products, good quality, um, kind of half the price that you would have paid them at the time on the market, and you just had to wait quite a long time. Um, but you were a new company, nobody knew you, so you were like some people could have thought that we would run with the cash. Um, so we had to be top notch. And when that's what you try hard to achieve on then that's where you're trying to anticipate as much as you can. Um, that's the team you're, celebra- you're celebrating every day to help them. And when everything like crashes, that, that's quite hard. Um, and what I learned from that is, even though I thought we were anticipating things a lot, we, we were not. We could have done it even better. We could have had that phone number on the website for people to contact us. We only had email actually at the time. Um, we could have had more people in the team. We could have seen signs of like things ramping up uh, a few months before. So anticipation is a big thing. Um, and in terms of challenges, uh, I think the, the challenges are different at every point of your startup or scale-up life on, on the change. Um, the biggest one is scaling, as I said. Um, Scaling your teams, scaling your processes, scaling your partners, scaling your systems, uh, scaling your brain. Um, that, that's, that's the tough, tough point in a company. But at the very beginning, I mean, the, the first challenge, as I said, is sell your project. On, on that day, day zero of your business, your big thing is sell your project. Would it be to partners, people who you want to hire, co-founders or investors? When you've sold it and you have cash or you, you, you launched it, then it becomes to sell your products. I mean, the first challenge for us was to prove that we had people who were willing to buy the items um, that, that we were producing on, on, on selling. And then it becomes delivering your items the right way to the right customers. And that was, that was the challenge of the, 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 the second six months, ensuring that we had an amazing customer experience. And then it's scaling, scaling your team's processes again, as I said, or our systems, our partners. Um, then for us, it became, um, after two, three years, it became going international. Prove that uh, when you have a business that runs well in the UK, you can actually deliver the same in other countries and you have a scalable business internationally. That's what we did. Um, and, then, and then I think when you become big, you have two kind of bigger, bigger level challenges that come to you. Um, the first one is called management. Um, how do you keep your organization fast running and flexible and, and efficient um, with 500 people? Um, 
you, you, your brain, when you're alone, your brain very easily talks to itself. It goes very fast. When you're two, three founders, it's pretty quick and simple. When you have like a layer of employees or, I mean, or team members, it, it, it goes fast too. It's easy to manage. Uh, everybody can learn it. When you have like five layers, different teams, different locations, that becomes a whole new uh, monster. So that's one of the big, big challenge. On the second one is, I think, it's linked to it a little bit, but especially it's linked even more to the, the size of the business you have to you have to fight for or you have to defend is how do you keep disrupting the universe on yourself on innovating? Because if you build your business as the industry but doing things differently, the thing is when you turn around like a hundred to five hundred millions you're a bit less willing to disrupt your model on disrupt things, on innovate, on do things differently because you can't lose that next day. Um, you have to find new ways of innovating every day. That's that's the big thing. I mean, disruptors of yesterday will be disrupted tomorrow. So you don't want to be that in, in, in that in that situation or in that group. You need to you need to force yourself to uh, think forward on 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 on, on innovate. Otherwise some other people are going to come on, on kick your ass. You've answered quite a few of my questions there in, in one um, in, in one go. So um, since, you, since you were talking about disruptors and talked about innovation and the need to innovate, what is your definition of innovation, Julian? Uh, that's a good one. Uh, once my definition of innovations, I think, I think you have 20,000 definitions of innovations. I would... I would say um, innovations is doing things differently. Is um, is the most simple definition I could give you. I would say that um, in in a lot of industries, uh, a way of looking at innovation is not going to be the definition. Would but my way of looking at innovation would be in using using. Using tech, for instance, not as the end goal, but as an enabler for change on disruption in the aim of improving customers' experience. Um, and that's how you, you know, that's how we innovated. At Made, we didn't invent the internet. We didn't invent e-commerce. We used tech on the tech we used was very boring at the time. Uh, because even 10 years ago, e-commerce was already quite live on, 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 on existing. But we used the ability that internet on the e-commerce technology, I mean technology sector gave us to target 100% of the population in one country with one single shop and therefore one single inventory to group orders from customers to factories without having to fill 100 shops. On that made our supply chain model much more lean and efficient. So we used a very simple innovation to to enable change and create a better customer experience, which in this case was items we could develop 100% ourselves, also because we had ties with factories, but but also uh, much better prices. Um, and I'll, I'll I'll give you another example with another venture I'm working with at the moment. Uh, in a very different industry, they don't do they don't do uh, furniture. They do real estate. I mean, they do real estate. They do private equity. On they start with real estate. On this called Lysium, like Lysium Partners. Uh, what we're doing at Lysium Partners is um, we are disrupting the 
private equity in this, the private equity industry, and especially the the, the funds industry, uh, with a bit of a newer technology called the blockchain. You might have heard of it a bit too much recently. Um, and uh, what these guys are doing is they're raising a fund the same way as every big fund manager is doing. They're starting with real estate, commercial real estate in the U.S. Um, it's a 250 million fund. And the one thing they are doing is not, they're not investing it differently. They're going to the best portfolio manager in the U.S. to manage it. It's going to be well done, a very on the usual way, buying buildings, operating them, doing it better than the other guys on, 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 on providing like two-digit um, yields to people who invest. The one innovation they use is instead of like um, having a normal fund, they are actually tokenizing it. And I won't get into details, but by issuing tokens rather than shares, on it's like security tokens. Uh, it's 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 totally secure. It's I mean no, uh, yeah, not because of securities, but it's um, it's uh, SEC regulated, FCA regulated, AMF regulated on, on all that stuff. Um, but by issuing this new product, which is a security that you can list on exchanges, they are actually providing liquidity to an industry where usually when you're, you were giving your, your cash to a fund, it was locked for like 10 years. I'm being extremely simplistic here just to explain that they use, they use one single small new technology to try and um, disrupt one single small part of an industry on, on make it better. And in this case, they are making very high return investment products that are usually illiquid and you can't exit your, your investment before 10 years. They're making it liquid through making it possible for investors to trade their shares online. Um, and for me, that's innovation. Not, not, trying to be, not trying to be that scientist in a room that creates something, which actually I think is even better, but not everybody can do it. But look at what's needed out there, what could be done better, on whether there is that new thing out there too that could make it possible, or people are not using yet. Um, 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 and the innovation starts with customers. That's fantastic, isn't it? That's a really great way. So don't reinvent the, the wheel, just apply it properly and uh, in a very smart way, and you, you'll get uh, the disruption that you, and the improvement that everyone is looking for. So that's fantastic. Um, what, Julian? I have a couple, a couple of uh, of questions left, if if you don't mind. Uh, you touched upon um another area where you're involved in, and I, I'm guessing you you've got your finger in terms of um evaluating what's hot and who is leading what, and you know, is there any you know what, what where are the key investments and the key innovations likely to happen? I want to ask from your uh, standpoint, what type of companies are leading in terms of innovation initiatives and do you foresee this trend to continue? And I think I'm quite curious to know whether you think, is it the large corporates or is it the smaller uh, sort of SME type organizations which are going to really disrupt and, and improve services for customers? No, it's a big question. Um, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I think it's both. Uh, I think it's actually it's actually either or. It's like it's usually either the big ones or or the startups. Um, I, I'm simplifying it when I when I'm saying startup. I think for innovation, you need. I mean, you need. I was gonna say you either need cash and or focus. 
but I, I also think you need insights. So you need to you need to be specialists in your industry. But uh, the big corporate have cash on on yes, that gives them a lot more room for doing bigger things on innovating on taking more risks. But the thing is, what you're seeing is some of them are doing it. Some some of them are going to the moon. Some of them are like um, uh, digitizing the whole internet on 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 on. Um, look at yeah. We all know what Amazon is doing and what Google is doing and what Facebook is doing on 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 what DeepMind has been bringing to the world. And, but most of the big organizations though are too big, too big, um, too inflexible to be willing to innovate at the same pace on with the same percentage of cash of the turnover in innovation as smaller companies. On smaller companies have nothing to lose. Um, much more focus. They are usually much more vertical. Not that the big ones were not built vertically, but then they actually expanded into a lot more businesses that their core core focus. Um, on they are more on young companies, on small companies are more agile. Um, on they they are able to be much more specialized in one market. So I I, I don't know. I think innovation is always going to be coming from. Both the big and the small, but um, if if I had to screen a market, I'd look at younger specialist companies first. Um, on that, that, I think that's more that's more interesting and that's a bit more fun. Yeah, yeah, I think you're not the only one who thinks that. But it's always interesting to see where you know what people are, how how the market is perceived. Um, and I guess finally, in closing, I wanted to find out um, if you had advice or, or sort of you know kind of thoughts for entrepreneurs and CEOs in in organizations who are you know trying to disrupt trying to grow very rapidly is there anything that you could you know sort of part um, in terms of advice um, I have one um, I, I'm, I'm at the end of the day if I keep talking I'm gonna be very boring with because I'm always saying the same thing, but I'm going to go for it again. My biggest advice on, on what I've been realizing at at Maid, on, at Lysium, or at any other uh, businesses I've worked with is that the you need to you need to talk to your customers. Unless the 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 best use of your time, if you're not doing it, is talking to your customers. You will learn so much on how your business is doing, where it's going, where it's doing a good job, where it's not doing a good job, on what you should do to um, get to the next level through just having a chat with them. On having a chat could be a phone call, it could be a one-to-one, it could be uh, a, a feedback email that you're sending to every single of them on, 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 on reading yourself uh, and or your whole company. On, on we, we've done that. On, it's incredible um, the, 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 the feedback you get. Um, people usually don't ask for feedback in life. You're not asking your husband or your wife what they think of you when you know that you could do better because you don't want to hear it. You're not asking your boss usually what you could do better because you think you know what you could do better. But the thing about asking them is, is actually they're going to be happy you ask them. Um, if you made mistakes, they're going to forgive you once. Um, on on they gonna on, on that's gonna force you to change. On talking to your customers is the best way of knowing what you can do to scale on on improve your business. As you said before, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. 
don't invent anything. I mean, talking to our customers, we decided to uh, launch new countries. We decided to change our packaging. We decided to change delivery companies. We decided to um, improve all the times on, 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 on which, which decreased from like 14 weeks at the beginning to like two, two and a half at the moment uh, in the UK. Uh, on, on the, we changed tons of stuff. That's the bigger thing. Um, uh, before all the other big advices, but that you're going to hear from everybody out there like, surround yourself with amazing people because working alone is boring on hard that is fantastic advice uh, such uh yeah i'm sure it resonates with many people and um you're right people don't do it enough they should do it more excellent question yeah. as well excellent question um thank you julian thank you so much for your time uh, you're welcome I- I guess in closing, we're looking forward to meeting you and finding out a bit more um, at the event in October on the 17th and 18th. Uh, we'll be asking some more testing questions from you. So, um, yeah, delighted to, to have spoken with you once again. And thank you so much for your time. Sounds good. And um, thanks for inviting me. My pleasure. Bye for now. Bye-bye.